Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. This is Shannon, and today I'm here with Brooke, Stacy, and Natalia, and we are discussing women's fiction novels. So when I was researching episodes that we kind of hadn't done in a little while, I looked at women's fiction, and I was looking at the genre definition of it. And it was really interesting to me because the actual broad definition of this genre is as follows. Books that are marketed specifically toward women. Then it lists all these other things that like could technically be considered women's fiction, but are in some ways categories of their own, like romance. Like it somehow falls loosely under the women's fiction genre. Um, Thrillers, psychological thrillers sometimes do. So it was really interesting to me to see sort of this big umbrella term um, and it kind of made me think about the things that we talk about as women's fiction. So we have the usual housekeeping information, and then I will start us off, followed by Stacy, Brooke, and lastly, Natalia. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first pick tonight is a book that technically is not out yet. It comes out on March 23rd, so I figured it would be acceptable to talk about it a little early. This is A Million Reasons Why by Jessica Strasser. And this is a novel about sisterhood. Um, It is a novel that is pretty sad in some places, but also just so poignantly written. So this is the story of Caroline and Scylla. And Caroline is married. She is the mother of three young children. And she's just generally really happy with her life. She has a close relationship with both her parents and her husband's parents. And she really cannot imagine any other way that she would want to live. But then her husband gives her family a group of mail-in DNA tests for Christmas. And it's sort of like a joke, you know, everybody's like, oh, haha, it's not like we have any, you know, long lost cousins out there, but let's see. So they do these tests and they don't really think anything about it. But then several months later, Caroline gets an email And it's from Scylla, who says that she is Caroline's sister, her half-sister. And she goes on to kind of explain, like, how this is possible. And Caroline does not know what to think. So Scylla is a separated woman trying to raise her son. Um, She and her soon-to-be ex-husband are kind of co-parenting. But things are not going as smoothly for them as they would like. Also, Scylla is heading toward the end stages of kidney failure. And so her main reason for doing the DNA test is kind of like a last ditch hope of finding a kidney donor. And in Caroline, people who love Scylla see this kind of like hope that maybe she can give Scylla a kidney and this whole process can be kind of put on hold for a while. But Scylla has really mixed emotions about asking Caroline 
for a kidney, as you would imagine. And as Scylla and Caroline start to get to know one another and build a relationship, as Caroline struggles to understand how her parents are not quite the people she has always thought them to be, and therefore is she the person that she's always thought herself to be, things get really, really messy and complicated. Um, I can't tell you why or how, but this book is just full of everything I love about women's fiction, everything that sort of makes you realize that the people in books like are just like could so easily be real people. And Jessica Strasser does this so, so well. Um, I love this book. It made me cry in certain places. It made me think about kind of what family is and what we owe family, even family that we may not be close to or agree with. Like what allegiance do we owe people that we are connected to by blood? So this is just a remarkable book. I'm so glad that I read it. It is A Million Reasons Why by Jessica Strasser. And by the time this episode drops, you won't have to wait too long for it because it'll be out on March 23rd. This is one that I actually have on my TBR because it looked really, really interesting. So I've wanted an opportunity to talk about this book ever since... I don't even know, like 2020 feels like it was five years long. So it's been like six months ago that I read this for the first time. Um, And Shannon and I had the privilege of interviewing the author. Um, And I'm going to talk about the Star-Crossed Sisters of Tuscany by Lori Nelson Spielman. And this book was a hidden gem. I didn't know anything about the author. I just knew that it was a lot about like food and wine and Tuscany. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll read this with Shannon. And it turned out to be one of my top reads of 2020 because I loved it that much. So in this book, there's a curse by Philomena a couple hundred years ago. And she has cursed all of the second daughters in the family to be miserable and not get married and not have a good life. Uh Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 200 years later, the curse continues and all second daughters are sort of they kind of suck at life. Like things always happen to them and they never get lucky. Things are always going wrong for second daughters. And, you know, for Amelia, that's fine. Like she, um, you know, just like works at this bakery every day with her dad and her family and her grandmother. But for her cousin, Lucy, all Lucy wants is to fall in love. And one day they are approached by the black sheep, by the risque member of the family, great aunt Poppy. And Great Aunt Poppy says that they can break the curse together, three second-born daughters, if they will just travel with her to Italy, where she promises that on her birthday, the curse will be broken on the steps of a specific cathedral. And isn't it like her, like, 88th birthday? 84th? Is it 84th? 86th? Something like that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's her 80-somethingth birthday. Um, She's going to break the spell. She's going to break the curse and second daughters can then be free to live in love as they please. Well, Amelia isn't so sure at first because she, you know, feels safe at home, but she kind of finally decides um, to do this. And she's a little wary of Aunt Poppy, who, you know, has sent her some birthday cards over the years and who used to come visit every once in a while, but she doesn't really know her. She just knows she's her grandmother's sort of scategorically scatterbrained flighty sister who um tried to kidnap her grandmother's daughter oh. as a toddler and is now no longer welcomed into the family lucy is all over the opportunity to go to tuscany so thus begins an adventure during which three very different women travel across italy together they drink a lot of wine gorgeous gorgeous wine they eat a lot of beautiful food And there is just an abundance of self-discovery. Family secrets are divulged and people kind of stretch and grow and learn who they are away from the influence of the family. And, you know, does great aunt Poppy manage to break the generation's long curse? I don't know. You'll have to read the book to find out. This is a gorgeous book. It's, um, It's just something that 
will stay with me for a long time. Again, it is The Star-Crossed Sisters of Tuscany by Lori Nelson Spielman. Is this a book that I might like? I think so. Think, yes, it's not... Um, there are some romantic elements, but it's more about... If you like books about like families and yeah. um, um, like travel and mm-hmm. sort of self-growth uh, and development, I think you'd like this book. So my first pick for tonight is a little different from what I usually read, but it was so good. So this is The Logger Queen of Minnesota, and it's by J. Ryan Straddle. And I think that's how you say their last name. I think that's true. Yeah. So this book is a book about sisters, um, a book about family, a book about trouble between sisters, and a book about kind of finding yourself, but also a book about finding each other. So this book is about Edith and Helen and their two sisters. Edith is about five years older than Helen, but Helen has known since the time she was 15, since the time she was 15 that she would like to be a beer maker. And she, to do this, she decides that she's going to convince her father while he's not well and she knows he's going to die that he should leave all of his money and everything to her. Because in order for her, well, she doesn't tell him this, but in order for her to get her dream of owning a beer company, she needs that money. Okay. Well, he dies and he gives her the money. And when that happens, Helen and Edith no longer talk. They want nothing to do with each other because that was horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Like, (laughs) spoiler alert. So, (laughs) so, um, Edith is happy in her life. She, uh, she works in a long, like a long-term care. Um, she also volunteers in long-term care. She's got a family. And then she also ends up raising her granddaughter, Dania, uh, Diana. Sorry. And if she had had the money, like her life could have been so much better. She probably could have been able to pay her bills on time. She, she just, she might've had a great life, but to her life has just been amazing. Like she just has everything that she could ever want. Meanwhile, Helen has her dream of owning a bear company and she's like a millionaire. And you would think that things would be great because her husband is very work oriented as well. But things aren't the greatest for her. So then you're kind of probably wondering, like, where's this going, right? So Edith's granddaughter, Diana, she ends up getting in trouble for doing something she shouldn't have done. And she is then introduced into the beer, the world of beer making. Um, She's taught how to make beer. And she works for this company. It's really fun. Um, So she has to, one of the projects they give her is that she has to make um, her own beer. Like it has to be something that they've never made before and that people have never heard about. And if she's successful, then they will market it and they'll put it out for her. So that will get her into into the world of beer making, right? So she does this and it's really neat. You get, you go through the process and you learn about the different beers and you learn how like they make the different tastes and stuff like that. And I thought that was really cool. So then Diana goes off and she decides that she's going to have her own company. And this is where family comes in. And this is where we then the the two sisters, they cross paths and that's where I'm going to end because I, I need to think more and I would give you a spoiler. So this was just an amazing book. Like I really, really enjoyed learning about the beer making process. And I really um, enjoyed the characters and I really enjoyed the family atmosphere of the whole book. So this is The Logger Queen of Minnesota and it is by J. Ryan Straddle. So... I really enjoy drinking craft beer. So I think that I would <laughs> enjoy a book about the process of making craft beer. Um, I think that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to have to add this one to my TBR. 
it was good. I really liked it. I, I saw the name of it, like the logger, and I and I saw it was about beer, and I'm like, I kind of want to read this. <laughs> when I was four, I took a sip of my father's beer, and I thought that it was disgusting. Uh, and 37 so years beer. later, I still think like the smell and the taste are really gross. But I really like the sound of this book. And so I definitely plan to read it, even though <laughs> beer, like in and of itself, does not thrill me. So my first book today is going to be called um, The Good Luck Girls of Shipwreck Lane by Yay. Kelly Harms. It's one of Stacy's favorites. And I'm surprised she didn't battle me for it. I think it was amazing, especially because what do I like about books? Food, books that have like food, friendship. It, it basically hit, checks all the boxes for me. So this book is about Janine Brown. And she is this year's lucky winner of a brand new dream home. Right. She is heartbroken. She's a heartbroken person who has, I guess, seeked comfort for whatever has caused her depression by cooking. She cooks all kinds of stuff. She lives with her aunt Mitch, and it seems like her aunt has entered her into this sweepstakes unbeknownst to her, and she's won a house. So, wow. Um, that's incredible. So now she has to uproot her entire life and move into this new house because her aunt isn't going to let her live it down. The fact that she won, right? I, I have to say I loved Aunt Midge so much. And meanwhile, across town, another Janine Brown, uh-oh, also known as Neen, could not be more thrilled that she won this house. You know, she just knows that this house is her destiny. It's going to be her chance to escape the life that she really despises. A bunch of, you know, bad jobs, drunken boyfriends, etc. But when both Janine Browns get to Christmas Coves and try to claim the prize that they both think is theirs, what's going to happen? <laughs> so this book was just such a delight to read. I cannot imagine you know, thinking I want a house, getting to it and finding out that someone else thinks they want a house and not that they're, you know, being a thief or anything, but that they're genuinely thinking that they won because they have the same name as me. And um, just, you know, watching how these women deal with this, I guess, mix up and how they get to know each other and figure out who they are was just so incredible to me it definitely was not what I expected at all I actually remember I started reading it really early in the morning because I was like oh I'm awake I might as well do laundry and I didn't know what I wanted to read and I just needed something and I had downloaded it because Stacy recommended it and I started it and I ended up enjoying it so very much so this is the good luck girls of shipwreck lane by Kelly Harms I love this book this summer. I know I saw the thing about this book. Like if you like books with like found family and strong female friendships and, you know, uh, sort of like friendship that kind of goes beyond generational sort of constraints. Like that's this book. I felt like there was a romance that was understated and very gentle and loving and fabulous. Like, I don't know. This book was like, like the Everything. best it was like a a chai latte on a cold day just oh perfect <laughs> i loved it okay so my next pick tonight is a book that when i started i really was expecting something else like Ooh. when i picked this up i thought Uh-oh. it was going to be this sort of like light humorous book um and it it wasn't like it just really wasn't so this is Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine by Gail Honeyman and the synopsis of this book talks about how Eleanor is this very time-oriented person everything in her life kind of fits into a schedule she does the same thing day after day after day with very little variation and she really likes it that way 
she has a lot of social difficulty. She tells people exactly what she's thinking at any given time. And most of the time, <laughs> it isn't very nice. Right. <laughs> and in the evenings, she sometimes has these telephone chats with mummy. And they are also not very nice. <laughs> so you read this and you're kind of like, okay, this is going to be sort of this like, lighter look at like how somebody who's socially awkward kind of gets a clue and it it is that but it's not at all light so Eleanor has these ideas about herself and they're not necessarily rooted in reality except she doesn't really know that so she is absolutely in love with this guy who's part of a rock band and she is so sure that if she can just like get him to notice her, he will be in love with her as well. And they'll just like get married and they'll have this great life. <laughs> but this, of course, like isn't true. But her journey to sort of understanding this is, is rocky and sometimes really hard to read because she is socially awkward in a way that is sometimes amusing but is sometimes just like really painful like I found myself cringing kind of on her behalf um, as she tried to navigate the world but when she and a co-worker rescue an elderly man who falls kind of in the middle of the street she starts to form some bonds with people like outside of her normal like realm of, of comprehension. And through these relationships, she starts to realize a few things about how the world really works. And I can't tell you a whole lot more without giving things away. But for a book that I picked up kind of under a misconception, I ended up really, really loving the author's message and sort of the innate charm that you can find when you least expect it here. So this is Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. And it is by Gail Honeyman. It is not a light rollicking book, but I still very highly recommend it. And I thank Sarah for telling me to keep pushing through it even when it turned out not to be what I thought yeah I thought I was picking up like a Jenny Colgan type book um no and it wasn't and um I, I will say the thing that I liked the most about it was the sort of found family aspect yes. um the the forging of relationships um but it hurt me to read um I felt very distressed on behalf of Eleanor and I had a hard time. I have actually not been able to finish it um, because I felt kind of distressed. But the thing that I liked the most about what I read of the book was the just learning to forge relationship and to think of others outside of herself. So I like these kind of like lead-ins to books that I'm going to talk about tonight. But I have to say one thing that really made my heart kind of surge with an excessive amount of joy was discovering a new sort of genre within women's fiction within the last year. And it's called paranormal women's fiction. Yay. And I know, and this genre um, is marketed to, um, and it's written about women who are in this sort of, I hate to say this because I'm in this place myself, but sort of midlife place of being 40 and older. And how you can be 40 and older and still kick ass and take names and have a very meaningful, full life. And one of my most favorite authors of all time um, wrote a book in this genre. And so tonight I'm going to talk about Betwixt. Betwixt and Between, number one, by the incomparable and amazing Dorinda Jones. And in this book, we meet Defiance Dane. So right away, you know, we're going to like her because what an amazing name, right? Like mm-hmm. I would love to go name. through life. Yes. And that I would love to go name. through life. Yeah. If my name were Defiance, I'd like rock the shit out of that. I'd be like, yep, I'm Defiance. Yep, no, I'm not Defiant. Too. I'm Defiance. And um, I'm Defiant too. But so Defiance is not in a good place at the start of the book. Um, she has just divorced. Uh, she and her husband have just gone through a divorce. 
And um, it did not, the divorce did not favor defiance. And she lost all the things in life that sort of were important to her. And so she gets this message um, that she actually is the inheritor of a house in Salem, Massachusetts, which is confusing for her because she's grown up in um, Phoenix, Arizona, and she was adopted by her fathers (laughs) at the age of three. So she's very confused. Like, how did I end up like getting, you know, in this will, this woman is like giving me this house named Percival. So she throws all of her worldly possessions into her um, vintage green Volkswagen bug. And she drives across the country to Salem and she's looking at this house, which is sort of like this medieval sort of um, like you expect gargoyles to be on the roof, like that kind of house. And (laughs) she like falls in love immediately. And she's like, how in the ever loving hell am I going to like actually be able to take care of this house? Because I'm broke as a joke. My ex took everything. So that is crappy mother. And (laughs) she goes into this house and sort of begins learning things about herself that were not expected Um, into her confusion comes her best friend of many, many years since high school biology. She comes across the country for a visit and the two of them begin this adventure where at all hours of the day and night, people are knocking on her door, begging her to find lost things. She's, um, you know, there's this very, very intensely, sexy tattooed man who keeps showing up in her house at odd hours and (laughs) you know she's very drawn to him for reasons beyond her comprehension and understanding um she discovers more about her family herself magic she didn't know she possessed a house that sort of seems alive and in this book it's more about her beginning to come into herself it's the first and at least a trilogy. So that's all I'm going to say about it right now because I don't want to give away too many spoilers. But this book was delightful from the first page to the last. It's sort of classic Dorinda Jones, which means that every chapter starts with like a meme or a saying from a t-shirt. And um, it just kind of has her wit and charm. Um, the hero kind of has the sort of sexy tortured bad boy bad boy vibe that we grew to love from her charlie davidson series um so if you enjoy women's fiction if you enjoy strong female friendships um books about family books with magic books with smoking hot heroes that we still don't know that much about i highly encourage you to try betwixt betwixt and between number one by dorinda jones would this be a good book to start with if I've never read her books? Yes. Um, if you, once you start the Charlie Davidson series, you'll have a hard time extricating yourself. And I think it's like 13 books long. It is. Um, right. So this would be like an easy, light introduction to like her writing style. So my next book is not magic and oh. it is not light hearted at all. My book (laughs) is actually based on kind of a true, not true story, but like kind of a true criminal anyway. So I'm doing In the Garden of Spite, and it is by Camilla Bruce. And I I read this this and I freaking loved it. I gave it five stars and I don't give out five stars really, really easy. So it was, it was so good. So With this book, we are following, I'm just going to call her by her name that she changes it to. Like she does have a Norwegian name, but I can't really, I don't really know how to say it. So I'm just going to call her Bella. So we've got Bella and while she's growing up, she's harassed, she's abused, she's emotionally abused. She's just not treated very well. So she learns to defend herself. Like, she really learns how to stick up for herself. So <laughs> she gets, um, she ends up getting pregnant by a, one of the, um, so she works for this man. And it's her, his son that um, impregnates her. 
And she thinks that he's going to marry her and that she's going to have an amazing life and that things are just going to go great. Well, things really don't. They end up getting into an altercation when she tells them that she's pregnant and she ends up losing the baby. So she's not doing too well and things are just not going well for her. And she decides that he needs to pay. Well, he does. And then she um, ends up moving. Like, she finds out that her sister, who um, her name is Nellie, and she actually lives in the U.S. She lives in Chicago. And she is having a rough time with her first pregnancy. Wait, sorry, her second pregnancy, I think. I think it's second. I think it's the second one that, like, blasted. Like, I think she's had, she brought, she had one child, and I think she had a couple miscarriages or something. Yeah, I think it's her second pregnancy that she she's really having it rough. And so she kind of tells her sister about this and her sister kind of puts it in letters. Like, so it's kind of written in letters that she has sent to her mom, but her mom doesn't know. I'm not sure how she doesn't know how to write. I can't really totally remember, but she ends up writing the letters for her mom to her sister so she ends up writing a letter and kind of a couple different times and kind of hinting at that things are going rough for Bella and that Bella needs it would be really cool if Bella could come to America and live with her so she ends up doing this her it takes a while like several years I think and she ends up moving um, to Chicago and living with her sister and you would think that she would be there to help her sister out and to make things easier for her sister but no that is not the case because (laughs) Bella at this point is when Bella has changed her name to Bella because she's decided I'm in America and I'm going to start my life again and the life is just going to be amazing for me so she sets out to meet a man that is going to take her and give her what she wants so she finds a man um, after a while and they get married and she's trying to have kids and as we all know it's not so easy so she has trouble and she's not doing well and then she ends up meeting this other man who tells her about how she can get a child so she ends up having a bit of a partnership with him and she fosters some kids and then she ends up keeping a couple and things happen and things are just going along and then she decides that her husband is no longer useful. So it's time to move on. So she ends up, as you could probably imagine, she ends up getting rid of him in a in very interesting way. And she moves on and she decides that she's going to connect herself to another widow who is actually quite well off. And he lives, I think he lives in Indiana. So he lives in Indiana and things happen and she's doing her thing and whatever. And she ends up moving to Indiana. And while in Indiana, she is doing well and things are great. Um, But at some point she again decides, nope, this man is not for me. And at this point, she kind of becomes known as the widow of Laporte. And now people come to her and they tell her about her, their dreams and they tell her about their lives and they tell her, they give, they give her what she wants and whatever. But many of these people, they never leave, but we don't know where they go. So I'm going to leave it there. And this was such, it was, um, it was, it was a horrifying book to read. Like I will honestly tell you, but I loved it, loved it, loved it. So this is In the Garden of Spite by Camilla Bruce. This, it really was very, very horrifying. It's a long book. (laughs) It's, I loved the amount of research that the author did because like all this stuff happened like in the 1800s. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Yeah, so like you don't. Like, you know, there wasn't a lot of information. And so she had to do all this research to kind of understand like Bella's life and how it was that she came to uh, encounter so many 
people in so many different and terrible ways. <laughs> she was I don't a think terrifying. Stacy should read it. No. I it's will say Stacey though, book. this is a woman that It's not a Stacy really... book at all. No. No. That doesn't sound like I would know. This is very much a <laughs> book about a woman who decides that she should have it all and she is not going to let anything hold her back. And by God, she's going to have it all. Is that what you're saying to me? Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. So the next book I'm going to talk about is One to Watch by Kate Stamen London. And if you're a fan of reality TV shows like The Bachelor, you'll notice that they have one thing in common. Um, Mind you, I don't know much about reality TV shows so I'll give you like the full disclosure. You're not a fan because <laughs> I'm not a TV watcher at all. Although, like, <laughs> you know, watching One Day of Cheapskates and One Day of Hoarders really like blew my mind. Just, just gave me nightmares. Oh, hoarders. <laughs> hoarders was just incredible, incredible. <laughs> what what people can come up with, I'm telling you. But one thing I've noticed that's a common denominator about finding love reality TV shows that it's usually a man right having to be courted am i wrong stacy well <clears throat> if you just go with the universe of the bachelor they do every other season so the bachelor and then the bachelorette so you're not okay you're, yeah so so i was under a wrong impression okay yeah because after i read this book i kind of thought that maybe it was kind of an idea but Anyway, this book is about B. Schumacher, and she is like super cool. She's a fashion blogger. She's stylish. Um, she has great friends, a great family, a great life, um, Insta followers, but she also has a massively broken heart, and she is plus-sized. But like a lot of other women who are dreamers in her life, she indulges herself in a weekly obsession, kind of like Stacy and the Bachelor, called Main Squeeze. Um, it's it's I guess kind of like that. It's fantasy dates, you know, um, fantasy makeups, and the goal of the show is basically for the person to choose the one person that they're going to marry and spend the rest of their life with. But um, B is kind of, as much as she loves the show, she's kind of tired of it representing only one kind of woman, one kind of, I guess, look. And um, so um, eventually she unexpectedly gets an offer to be the main squeeze. You know, they want her to be its next star. They want her to be surrounded by men that are going to, I guess, court her until she picks at the end of the season, the one. But the only thing she says in her contract that they must abide by is that she is not actually going to fall off. This is going to be just for a TV show because she feels like this is going to be the hit of her career, not because she didn't already have a good one, but because she feels like she can make a difference as far as what America should see as beauty standards. Because, you know, we all, I'm sure we can all agree that the beauty standards that we we see every day are kind of harmful and not Ooh. one size fits all, yep. right? So... I loved, loved, loved this book. I loved everything that it stood for. I loved how B accepted herself. Um, I loved how it promoted positive body image, um, d- diversity. Um, and I also love how when the cameras start rolling, B realizes that not falling in love is harder than she thinks it might be. So if you want to read a book that's, you know, kind of like The Bachelor or that kind of idea with reality TV, I would suggest One to Watch by Kate Stamen London. I can't, I just can't say enough about this book. It is just so 
Um, such a great book for the time that we're living. And I, I would go as far as to, you know, if I had, you know, a high school girl that likes to read or, you know, yeah, you know, even in college that likes to read, I would give it to her um, because it's so it's so good about, as I said, body positivity, female empowerment, um, just just everything about it is awesome. Agreed. I love that book. So this is One to Watch by Kate Stamen London. Yay! So it was so it, good. I know. So I have said it before, and I will say it again. My job is to bring us down. No! <laughs> so in a in a different way, like not oh, in like no. a horrifying way, but in a, a very sad and beautiful way. So my last pick tonight is The Choices We Make by Karma Brown. And Karma Brown is an author that I have heard about for the last couple of years and just never picked up. Like she'd always been someone on my radar. I I thought, oh, like, you know, these books look good. I need to get them at some point. But I never actually did until now. So this is her second novel. And it's a novel about surrogacy. So if you liked um, Then Came You, by Jennifer Weiner, this might be a good pick for you. So this is the story of Hannah and Kate, and they have been best friends for a long time since Hannah rescued Kate from a bully who was, unfortunately, using a mirror to look up her dress. Aww. And so he got put in his place, and from that day forward, this like beautiful friendship was formed. So Kate and Hannah are pretty much like sisters. Um, they're just these like very devoted best friends that everyone should, should have. And now they're both married and Kate and her husband have two young daughters, but Hannah is having a really hard time getting pregnant and staying pregnant. She's had a few miscarriages Um, Other times, you know, she just doesn't get pregnant. They've tried in vitro and nothing has really worked. And Kate then has an idea. And that is that she will not only carry a baby for Hannah and her husband, but she will use her own eggs to do this so that the risks are, are much lower. And it's, you know, sort of her hope that by doing this, Hannah will be able to kind of achieve her dream and be a mom. So at first, you know, this is this is complicated because your best friends, like, you know, pretty much like family, your your lives are intertwined. But then this huge thing is kind of put in the middle of it. And you can't just sort of make an agreement and just get on about your business. Like there's all this red tape that's involved that nobody really expected. And there are contracts to sign and lawyers to consult and just all these things. And yet still they, they go through with it and Kate gets pregnant. And then, oh, and then something <laughs> very, very, very terrible happens. And now the lives of these people are completely upended and somebody has to make a terrible choice. And it really is a terrible choice. Um I don't cry through books very easily, but like the last 20% of this book had me sobbing, like uncontrollably sobbing. Um, It is just, it's a remarkable book about, about friendship, about love, um, about the sort of selfless things that we do for the people we love and how sometimes we don't really consider what those things will mean. And sometimes we don't even know what those things will mean until we do them. Um, I I highly recommend this, although you you should be prepared to cry. It is The Choices We Make, and it's by Karma Brown. Her books are always, from what I understand, like big and emotional um, and kind of explore like the, the questions of like love and loss and hope. So Shannon likes to bring us down and make us cry. Tears of 
distress and a sob. She likes the big emotions. I like to find books that sort of buoy up my soul and lift me from the mundanity of the world. And one author that has done this for me consistently is Beth O'Leary. Consistently, I mean, like, the two books I've read that she's written. <laughs> well, those are the only ones she has so far. So As I'm fair. saying, the two books that, and the, you know, her, her flat share that she wrote in 2019, it just lifted me up in a really sort of rough time in my life and just gave me all the feels. So when I found out that she had written The Switch, I thought, oh, I need to read this. So The Switch by Beth O'Leary is probably one of the most delightful things I've read in a very long time. It's about Eileen. Eileen is 79. She's 79, but she's not done living. She wants romance. She wants to still be alive. She wants to date. She wants a life. But it's hard for Eileen to do this in her small village. And then we also have Lena, Eileen's granddaughter. She's in her 20s. She's living in London. And she flubbed a ginormous presentation at work and has been told she has to take sabbatical until she can kind of get her shit together. (laughs) And so she talks to her grandmother and finds out that Eileen wants all these things. She wants to be on like Tinder. She wants to, (laughs) right? She wants to be online. She wants to do all these things. She wants to live a life that has been denied her. Lena, on the other hand, wants a life of quiet to kind of figure out what in the heck she's doing. And so the two make this amazing plan. Lena is going to live in her grandmother's cottage up in her little Yorkshire village. And Eileen's going to go to London and be the flatmate of a couple millennials. And (laughs) so as you can imagine, you know, things happen. So Lena goes with her optimistic attitude up to her grandmother's cottage and tries to insert herself and her young person ideas into (laughs) grandmother Eileen's village. (laughs) And as you might guess, she's not very well received. It's a very insular village. It's very closed to outsiders. And everything that Lena does, you know, there's this school teacher and he keeps like one upping her in this village. (laughs) And his ideas are more respected than hers. And, oh, that makes Lena mad. (laughs) In the meantime, in London, Eileen, 79-year-old Eileen is, like, living the life. She's wearing sexy boots. She's wearing sexy lingerie. She's going on dates (laughs) with men online. She's having a fling. She's changing everything in her granddaughter's flat. She's, you know, bonding with her friends. She's teaching them about life. But what both women realize, Lena realizes that maybe her life goals are different than what she anticipated. And Eileen realizes that maybe love is closer to home than she anticipated. And this book made me cry. I loved it. It was an you know, Shannon likes to bring you down. She likes you to cry, like tears of like grief and tragedy. Yes, I want I you to cry. Yes, but I yeah. want you to cry <laughs> tears of joy. And I want to say sapitude, but that is not a word. So I don't know what to say. I want we you to your cry. Your word be made up. It's my new word. It's a new Scrabble word. It's in the new Scrabble dictionary that I have written. But, you know, and, and in this book, we learn about family and relationships and found family and how it's so important to listen to the voices of our elders, but also how to kind of like take a step back and reevaluate your life and what you think you need versus what you actually need and want. And this book, um, usually because I'm so young and hip, I would think that I would have more um, resonated with Lena's parts of the book. But for me, the parts about Eileen were just the most gorgeous, amazing, uplifting parts of this book. So I highly recommend The Switch by Beth O'Leary. If you want something that's just going to lift you up and cheer you up and make you happy. And just it's about women and family and friendship and love and all the good things. 
This is another book I will be adding to my TBR. Oh. It's so it's delightful. This is on my iPad. Need, like sometimes I just need something that's going to be happy that I know it's going to turn out okay. So I have been unapologetically a grandma's girl like my whole life. And the year that I was 32, I actually moved in with my grandma for a while. And we have um, (laughs) have a really good relationship. Like I I adore my grandmother. I talk to her every day, sometimes more than once. Um, And you know, my grandma will be 81 this year. And that like rocks my world, not in a good way. (laughs) Because I, I realized that, you know, she has some health problems and It sort of strikes me that my grandma won't always be around. And yet this book just like sort of encapsulates, it sounds like all the things that I love about my own grandmother and kind of about like these intergenerational kinds of relationships that like where the two people can teach each other, um, you know, like just so, so much. So my last book is The House We Grew Up In. And yes, it is by <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is one of Shannon's favorite topics. She had a binge. She was binging Hoarders. The <gasps> show. <I> still do. <laughs> so, <I> still do. <laughs> so honestly, it was such a good book. So it's by Lisa Jewell. So this book is about the Bird family. And the Bird family live in a village in a in a nice neighborhood. Um, the Bird family, they've had a great life. So we've got the kids are I'm trying to remember their names. Oh, Meg, Beth. Meg and Beth are the daughters. And then the, we've got the twins, Rory and Reese. And then their father is kind of a hip guy. He's a he's laid back. He's uh, still looks like a teenager. He's a young guy, like a young looking guy. Sorry, and his name is Colin. And then we've got Lorelai, and this is the mother, and she's very whimsical, and she lives day to day. Um, she just wants everything to be wonderful. She thinks life is just great, but. We begin to see glimpses into how things are not quite right. For example, she saves, she thinks it's necessary to save every single piece of art that her children make. And she has this really, well, in my opinion anyway, bad habit of saving pieces of things that are broken. And life just isn't as great as it seems so something happens one easter that rocks the world of this family and begins to kind of tear them apart so colin leaves and has his own life and then meg the daughter she she's kind of the opposite of her mom like she's very like everything has to be in its place she could have no clutter. Um, everything is just has to be kind of perfect in her world. This is how kind of how she kind of fought against her childhood. Then we've got Beth, who had a pretty messy life. And things aren't really going too, too well for her. Then we've got Rory. And Rory he's kind of on a mission to find himself well something happens to Lorelai or at least to Lorelai and it brings her family back to her because they begin as they're sorting through things they're beginning to learn more about themselves and more about the family and more about how things got to where they are and they also learned more about what happened that Easter. So this is The House We Grew Up In. And it's by Lisa Jewell. It was, it was so hard to read for me. But it was also a very, it was a very good read. 
Lisa Jewell, you know, she writes these like suspenseful thrillery books, but then she also has these kind of women's fiction novels where like the thriller aspect is just like not there. Mm-hmm. But the writing is so her. stellar. Yes. It's so her. It is. I like think I've read um most of what she's written. I don't think I've read everything yet, but I've definitely read a lot of it and it's so good. Like everything that she writes has been really, really good. Yes, I like her a lot. All right. So my last book of today is my favorite of all of them. Um, it is, I can't say enough about this book. It's the first book I read about this by this author. And it's called Truths I Never Told You by Kelly Rimmer. And, and this book is about Beth Walsh, who um, has a five-month-old baby. And it seems like she's struggling with motherhood. And... Uh, Part of the reason she's struggling with motherhood is because her mother died when she was a young toddler. And so she was raised by her father and didn't really, um, I guess, have that in her life, have a a motherly figure, maternal figure. And um, a lot of having a baby is once you have your baby, you start thinking about all kinds of things that you never even knew were in your psyche (laughs) that happened in your childhood and things like that. And on top of the fact that she's struggling with her with her motherhood that she desperately wanted, um, her father's demen- has dementia that's worsening, and he's been moved into a care facility. So she's tasked with cleaning out his house. And while she does this, she uh, finds a bunch of stuff, including a door that is padlocked to an old playroom that has paintings and a bunch of, I guess, memorabilia from her childhood. And in that mess, she finds a loose journal entry that appears to be from her mother talking about struggles with um, postpartum depression. Um, And it, it suggests that there's something much darker in the past of her and her siblings that maybe they don't know about and about a husband who has nothing to do no similarity to the father that she's known and loved all her life so who is this woman why is the handwriting uh so similar to hers and why does it sound like it's her mother talking in this journal entry and where are the rest of them if you want to know i would pick up truths i never told you by Kelly Rimmer. It is just such a wonderful dual timeline novel. And um, it definitely, I, I love how it, I guess, um, I'm trying to look for the word, but it gives us an idea of a lot of struggles that women have had that are timeless Um, And that continue happening. And for me, who was a relatively, I was a relatively new mother. When I picked up this book, it definitely made me feel less alone. So I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's one of those books where I think the secrets feel like they're not, um, like they're not twisty and surprising like they would be in a mystery. They feel like very real and relatable in a way that like things in a thriller don't necessarily. So I really liked sort of the, the buildup and the tension in the novel, but then just the very relatable like outcome. And so this brings us to the end of our women's fiction episode. Thank you very much to Stacy, Natalia and Brooke for joining me this evening and talking about all kinds of fantastic books that, bring us down and lift us up and evoke all sorts of emotions, both good and bad. Thanks as always to Christine for all of her editing. We appreciate you so much. And we of course have to thank each and every one of you who join us each week as we talk about fantastic books.
If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.